46. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fires. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Let the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. Well, good morning. Good morning, East Point Church. Wherever we are gathered here this morning, I want to say um, thank you for logging on and logging in. So glad that the Lord would um, wake us up this morning once again and direct us to this place, wherever that place may be, where we are gathered together to lift our voices and praise him. I pray everyone has had a, um, a safe, and a blessed holiday weekend. I pray that um, last night didn't get too crazy and you were able to get some sleep. Amen. I think they're still setting off fireworks in our neighborhood. Uh, but I pray that everyone is safe and doing well this morning. If you are visiting here with us at East Point Church, uh, let me say to you, so glad that you would log in and log on. Uh, we do pray that there has been something encouraging already and that the word, as we meditate upon God's word this morning, that the Lord and his spirit will have something particularly encouraging and good for your spirit this morning. If you have any questions at all about East Point Church, please do not hesitate to get in contact with us. Uh, we would love to serve you and answer any of your questions that you may have this morning. We're in a series called the Psalms of the Season. We've come to um, Psalm 46 this morning, a very familiar and important and powerful word uh, from God this morning. It has been read in our hearing, so let us pray that the Lord will make it effectual as we meditate, meditate upon it this morning. Heavenly Father, we do thank you once again that we are here. We're thankful that we are your people. We are thankful that you have come by your spirit and you have encouraged our hearts and reminded us that you are our God. We thank you for the songs that we sing. We thank you for the prayers that we pray. We thank you for your word as we read it and meditate upon it. And most of all, we thank you for Jesus Christ, who is uh, our salvation, who is our hope, who is our life this morning. May he be all and in all as we seek to understand better your word according to your spirit. 
In his name we pray and ask all these things. Amen. Well, in the summer of 1934, Reverend Michael King, he was the senior pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church, and he toured Europe on his way to a Baptist convention in Berlin, Germany. And while in Germany, it's 1934, remember, and despite the growing presence of the Nazis and their hate-filled propaganda, Reverend Michael King fell in love with, with Germany. And in particular, in the life and teachings of one German, Martin Luther. And Martin Luther, you might remember, was that 16th century priest who lit the flame of the Protestant Reformation by nailing his 95 theses on the church door there in Wittenberg, Germany on October 31st, 1517. And Michael King was impressed. He was impressed with the life. He was impressed with the passion of Martin Luther, the scholarship and the resolve of this preacher and this theologian. And it changed Reverend Michael King in deep and profound ways. In fact, so profound and impactful was this change that when uh, Michael King returned home to Atlanta, he changed his name and the name of his five-year-old son. He would no longer be Mark, uh, uh, Michael King, he would now be Martin Luther King, and his son would be Martin Luther King Jr. Now I tell you this story this morning so that we can once again appreciate the impact that Martin Luther had on the world in general, and on the church in particular. Not just in naming Atlanta, not just in the naming of Atlanta's favorite son, but also in reminding us of how wonderful our text is this morning. Psalm 46. You see, Martin Luther loved the Psalms, but Love none more than Psalm 46. For Psalm 46 re reminded him of the power and the presence of God. And this is because Luther lived his life, much of his life, under the stresses and strains of the dangers and death on every hand. Every day his life was filled with threats. And because of this, he would often find himself caught up in it all and becoming distressed and anxious and even depressed. And in this psalm, he tells us that he would often find solace. In this psalm, he would often find hope and help. In fact, when he was feeling low and lacking confidence in his mission, he would often say to his friend and confidant, 
Philip Melanchthon, come, come, Philip, let's sing the 46. And they would sing, a sure stronghold, our God is he, a timely shield and weapon. Our help he'll be and set us free from every ill can happen. This, this is the psalm, in fact, beloved, that came, became the inspiration for the popular Lutheran hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, a bulwark never failing. Psalm 46. Psalm 46 has teeth in it. It has backbone. What we have this morning is a psalm that is designed to build confidence in God and strengthen our conviction in the surety of God's word. This is not a psalm that asks questions. This is a psalm that makes statements, strong statements. What we have here is a psalm declaring in no uncertain terms the power and the glory of God. This psalm reminds us that our God is stronger. This psalm reminds us that our God is able. This psalm is a clear word from God. And it speaks directly to our anxieties. It speaks directly to our doubts. It speaks directly to our fears. And it tells us God is our help. It tells us that God is our hope. It tells us that God is our help. Notice how the psalm begins. Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. It, it, it begins with this kind of universal assumption, and I think it is a safe assumption and a verifiable assumption. God is a refuge and strength because we all are in some degree or another, in some type of trouble and even distress. And the reason we're in trouble is because we're helpless. We're all helpless. And actually, we live our lives a lot more helpless than we think we are. And the reason why we have trouble is because we're helpless. Think about it. Who would have troubles if they could help it? But the reason you and I have trouble is because we can't help it. Troubles come and you and I are often helpless to do anything about it. That's what the Bible says. In Job chapter 5, verse 7, man is born to trouble as surely as the sparks fly upward. 
You saw the fireworks last night. Which way did the sparks go? They went up. Yes, they came down, but before they came down, the sparks went up. And as sure as the sparks fly upward, you and I are born to trouble. Job 14 and 1 echoes those same words. Man who is born of a woman is of a few days and full of trouble. And because we all have trouble, we all need help. We go to our parents because we need help. We go to our friends. We go to the doctors. We go to lawyers. We go to the church. We go to the government. Why? Because we all at some point or time need help. Why? Because the world is made up of dependent beings depending on dependent beings. But if you would hear the word of God this morning, listen to it clearly, and listen to what God says. The Bible says God is your help. And what type of help is he? The Bible says that he is a very present help. That idea of very present means exceedingly available. Whenever you need, he's there. Why? Because God is the only truly independent being in the universe. He is the only one who is never needing help and therefore is always available to give help. In sports, what we see in sports is people demonstrating great and awesome ability. But in sports, you know what we say is the best ability to have? The best ability is availability. That means you're available to play. Because I don't care how talented you are. If you hurt and sitting on the bench, you are of no help to us. You're not available. The best ability is availability. But God is not just able. God is available. Exceedingly available. Very present. Psalm 121. Verses 3 and 4 says, He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will, will neither slumber nor sleep. Because he is very present, exceedingly available, always willing, always able to be your refuge. Refuge, refuge. He is your refuge. 
in Psalm 32 and 7 is the idea of a hiding place. You are a hiding place for me, the psalmist says. A refuge is a hiding place. Or, or better yet, in, in Psalm 9 and 9, he is a shelter. The Lord is a shelter for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. For God to be a refuge, it means God is a shelter. The Lord is your shelter in the time of storm. He is a shelter. Now, we've had opportunities. We've had opportunities from time to time to take people down to a local shelter. They, they were out on the street. They were homeless. They needed a refuge. They needed a place to stay. And so in working with them, we would take them down to shelter and see if they could find there a refuge, a, a place to stay. But what do you find, Pastor Phil, oftentimes when you go down to the shelter and you want to ask somebody to, and you want to see if somebody can come to the shelter? What do you find, Pastor Phil, oftentimes, most times when you go down to the shelter? What do you find? You find that the shelter is full. There is no vacancy. There is no room. There is no availability. Beloved, God is a shelter that is never full. The Lord is a shelter that is always room. There is always a vacancy. He always has room. When the storms of life start building, you have somewhere where you can run to. When the storms and the troubles of life start blowing, you have someone to whom you can turn. Where do you go? where there's nobody else to turn to. Who do you talk to when nobody wants to listen? Who do you lean on when there's no foundation stable? I go to the rock. I know that he's able, and I go to the rock. And I go to the rock of my salvation. I go to the stone that the builders rejected. I run to the mountains and the mountain stands by me. When, when the earth all around me is sinking sand, on Christ the solid rock I stand. When I need a shelter, when I need a friend, I'm going to the rock. Why? Because his name is Jehovah Ezer, the Lord God who is our helper. That is his name. He is our helper. And when you go to God, or better yet, when God brings that shelter to you, God comes to help you, beloved. God comes to help. We often get it wrong. God doesn't come to judge. He comes to help other folk. When they show up, they show up to judge. They show up to condemn. When God comes God comes to help. 
When he came to Adam and Eve in the garden, he came to help them. When he showed up with Moses and Israel, he showed up to help them. Ask Jacob, ask Jonah, when God showed up, God showed up to help. God doesn't come to condemn. Beloved, that is the tool of the devil. God shows up. He comes to help. He comes to shelter you from sin. He comes to shelter you from shame. He comes to hide you from wrath and judgment. Do you know the Bible says that Jesus went around everywhere doing good? Why? Because in John chapter 3 and 17, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. Jesus came to help the world. Came to help. He's a helper. And everywhere he went, came to help. Others came to condemn. Jesus didn't. In John chapter 8, the woman hung an adultery there. Others came to condemn. Jesus came to help. The thief on the cross, while others were there to mock and to condemn, Jesus showed up to help. Because the longer I live and the more I walk this Christian life, there is a verse that is playing in the background all the time. And every day, it gets louder and louder. And it says, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the Spirit of God is turning up that verse in my life more and more every day. Don't you allow your sin to drown that out. Don't you allow others and their condemnation and their judgment to drown that out. You ask the Lord, pump up the volume. I need to hear now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Play it loud. The Lord is your helper. He comes to shelter you. And we need it, beloved. We need it. I, we need shelter. And the Lord knows that we need shelter. We need shelter in this world. And he is our helper. He is our shelter in this physical world. When the world around us seems to be crumbling all around us, when the world that we live in is so troubling, God says he is your help. 
And the world is troubling. The world is troubling because of nature. That's what it says in our text, right? 46 verses 2 and 3 talks about the earth giving way and the mountains being moved into the heart of the sea and the mountains trembling. And it's troubling. It's troubling. Nature is troubling. Global warming, or, or they call it nowadays climate change. Melting polar caps and disappearing rainforests. Storms in unfamiliar places and fluctuations in weather patterns. Disaster and disease. Pollution and pandemics. Ebola in Africa, corona in China, and racism in America. Each of these on their own would be enough to make you feel helpless. Multiply them across the whole world. And you see a world in flux. And you see a world helpless. Helpless. And if that was not enough, the world is troubling not just because of nature is in. The world is troubling because of the nations. See that in verse 6. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. Nations go to war against nations. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. People are prosperous one moment and thrust into poverty the next at the whim of their leaders and dictators. Nation goes to war against nation, which causes neighbors to go to war against neighbors. Movements rise up, new hashtags every day. People who were friends today, all of a sudden now they're foes tomorrow. They're marching in the streets, yelling, impeach the president, yelling, defund the police. And with every, with every movement and with every agenda, everyone thinks, ah, but this time is going to be different. Beloved, every generation thinks theirs is going to be different. Social unrest is not new. There was social unrest when this psalm was written. There was social unrest when Jesus was walking the streets of Palestine. There was social unrest when Luther wrote, A mighty fortress is our God. There is social unrest now. Why? Because ever since the garden, the world has been in flux. Always fighting. Always struggling. It's like a fish out of water, just flopping around, not knowing what to do next. And in the midst of that, God has called a people by his name. And he has made them Christians. And he says, Christians, in the midst of a world that is in flux, 
flopping around and running around like a chicken with its head cut off. What is the Christian to do? Where does the Christian find help? Where does the Christian find hope? The Christian alone in this world not only has help, the Christian alone has hope. Has hope. While the mountains crumble and the waters rage, do you hear what the psalmist said? There is a river that runs through the city of And it is a calming stream. It is a reviving river. It is a restoring river. These are refreshing waters. These are not stagnant waters, beloved. This is a stream that is flowing. It is a reassuring stream. In the midst of all the chaos, there is flowing a river of life. And notice how it is described. It is a river that makes glad. It is a river that makes glad. In the midst of the chaos, both from nature and in nations, there is a river that is flowing for the Christian, that is a blessedness, a happiness, a joy that comes to those who dwell in the habitation in the city of God. There is a peace. The Bible says that it is perfect. In Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 6. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. In Romans chapter 14 and verse 7, the Bible says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because there is a river of life that is flowing in the life of God's people that brings righteousness, peace, and joy. It is the waters of life that are given to us in the Spirit of God. And it makes glad. He is not just a holy spirit, but he is a happy spirit. And he makes glad the city of God and all those who dwell in 
is a river that flows. There's a stream that flows. It knows how to strive. It makes glad, but it doesn't just make glad, but it is a reminder that God is in the midst of us. This river is a tangible reminder that God is with you. God is here. And beloved, this has always been the hope of God's people. From Genesis to Revelation, the hope of God's people has always been and will always be the presence of God. That's what makes the difference. That's what makes the difference, the presence of God. God is in the midst of us, and God is there to help. And he's available, and he's willing, and he's able. Revelation 21 and, three, and verse 3, all the way to the end. Beloved, this is the promise that's given in Genesis. It goes all the way to the end. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people. And he will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. The presence of God is the hope of God's people. And so what does the psalmist say? In verse 7. In case you didn't understand what I was saying all this time, I want to make it plain to you. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. God is with you. This is our hope presence of God. And he hasn't failed yet, beloved. He's never failed to be with his people. He has never failed to deliver his people. Don't believe that this will be the generation where he stops. This is our hope. Our hope is not in police reform. Our hope is not in a new mayor. Our hope is not in a new president. Our hope is in the power and the presence of God. Our hope is in God. We vote. Yes, vote. But our hope is not in the ballot box. We demonstrate. But our hope is not in demonstrations. Our hope is in God. And why? Why is our hope in God? Because of what the Bible says in verse 9. If wars are going to end, it is God who will do it. If injustice is going to come to an end, it is God who will do it. If sin is going to be brought to an end, it is God who will do it. And guess what, beloved? He's going to do it. He's going to cause the war to cease. He's going to bring injustice to an end. He's going to make an end of all your sin. That's why we hope in him. Dr. King, who would often quote the poet 
James Russell Lowell when he said, Truth forever on the scaffold and wrong forever on the throne. Yet that scaffold sways a future beyond the dim unknown. Standeth God within the shadows, keeping watch above his own. God is watching. And beloved, if God is watching, then what do you and I need to do? Be still. Be still. Be still. What is the Christian to do at times like this? Well, verse 10 says, be still and know that I am God. I am that I am. That is how he has revealed himself. That's what he said to Moses. Moses, be still. I am who I am. I hear, I know, I am God. Be still, be still. Now, beloved, when the Bible says be still, the Bible is not talking about inactivity. You don't just sit there on your hands. It doesn't mean that you don't move. The idea here is not that you stop working. The idea is that you stop worrying. It means that you stop bickering. It means you stop murmuring. And so the Lord literally, literally what he does is he says, cease and desist. Cease and desist. You ever get a cease and desist letter? I have. I got one. You ever get one? I got one. You know what cease and desist means? Cease and desist means stop doing what you're doing and don't start back doing it. In other words, stop it. Stop it. And it's like a, it's like a parent who has these two siblings who are fighting and the parent comes and breaks it up. And what's the first thing you say? What's the first thing you say to them? Stop it. This is what God says. Christian, stop it. Stop it. It's like Jesus said in the storm, Mark chapter 4, when he's there with his disciples in the boat. And he woke, and, and they woke him up all frantic and scared and worried. And Jesus got up and he spoke to the storm. Beloved, he was not only speaking to the storm. He was speaking to Peter, James, and John, and the whole lot of them when he said, be still. Peace. The peace I give you. The peace that's from me. Don't you dare allow the storms of life to smother that out. Be still. Be still. I'm still on the boat. Did you hear what I said? Jesus says, I am still on the boat. Beloved, as long as Jesus is on the boat, the boat isn't going down. The waves can blow all they want to, 
The wind can roar all it wants to as long as Jesus is on the boat. The boat isn't going down. This is why, beloved, I don't worry about the church. People can talk all they want to and talk about the church and all oh, the church ain't this and the church ain't that. Listen, beloved, as long as Jesus is on the boat, the church ain't going anywhere. It never has. People have come and people have gone. Mockers have come and mockers have gone. Scoffers have come and scoffers have gone. You know, the one thing that is still here is the church. And you know why? Because Jesus is on that boat. Be still. Be still. Be still your worries. Be still your anxieties. The last time I checked, beloved, and I, I, checked, I checked just this morning just to be sure. But the last time I checked was right before I came in the sanctuary this morning. Philippians 4 and 4 still says, be anxious for nothing. That's what it says. Now I know, I know people try to explain that away. But beloved, when I read it, nothing still means nothing. Nothing. Wait a minute, Pastor, you don't, have you heard about coronavirus? The Bible says nothing. Wait, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, Pastor. Don't you see all of the over-policing and the militarization of the police force? Nothing. Oh, okay, okay, but wait a minute. Right, we got an election coming up this fall in November. You can't possibly mean the election. Nothing. Be anxious for nothing. God is saying, I don't know if you realize it, but you probably need to check again. I'm still in charge. I'm still in charge. Be still. Be still. I hadn't gone anywhere, hadn't advocated my throne, haven't had a reduction in my power. Be still. Last time I checked, beloved, God is still faithful and his mercies are still new. You can be still. Last time I checked, the grave was still empty and Jesus was still alive. You can be still. Last time I heard, the blood still hasn't lost any of its power. You can be still and know that I am God. And when it's all said and done, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted over all this The Lord of hosts is with you. The God of Jacob is your refuge. Be still. Be still. Let's pray.